there's a, a high potential that we're going to f- completely go off the rails. But I, I, my pushback on that would be, so what? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the danger if we go off the rails? Because at the end of the day, you need to decide for yourself what's real. We like, seek to go off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, we aren't hurting anyone. We aren't in science. No one's going to die if we go off the rails. I mean, it's the thing that I ask sixes sometimes. What is the bad thing that is going to happen? (laughs) (laughs) The big hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-presidential with Bioling 458 Trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres sexual 9 with 1974 Trifix. What up, it's Emika. I'm an 8-wing 7, sexual self-pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pres social 3-wing 4 with a 369 Trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Welcome back to Big Hormone Enneagram. This week, we are doing some love line questions and some just general uh, questions that y'all have. Um, We are always doing a love line. We are always taking calls and requests for topics or uh, romantic uh, queries. So, uh, Emika, if you could uh, help remind us what the number is for people to call in for. Yes, the number is 323-696-0647. And real quick, I just wanted to let everyone know, this podcast is sponsored by Pornhub.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, yes, debased degeneracy and... Uh, <laughs> You know, low vibrational lifestyle here at Big Hormone Enneagram. So I guess we're just going to get into it with uh, some of some y'all's calls, right? Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me let me get this shit queued up. Hey, guys. This is Sarah again. Um, thank you so much for answering my last question. Um, I have another one that's a little more complicated. Um, so in light of the Archetypal Masculine and Michael teaching episodes, I'm wondering what archetypes or symbols you all personally relate to uh for example like mythological real life or pop culture figures um do you experience any unconscious or shadow aspects of those or of yourselves and how do you work with that and then finally how did those roles play out in your relationships thanks Damn, man, good question. Leave it up to sixes to ask the most complicated fucking questions. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I have Queen no Sarah. idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have no idea how to answer this. I know. <laughs> I was, I was listening to it and I was like, this is too much. Nope, too vague. Can't do it. Actually, yeah, I mean, I, feel... I know John has an answer to this, but <laughs> no one else does. Of course, John has an answer to it. He's like, yeah. I am well, the most what's... specific archetype. <laughs> Get my hands ready. <laughs> Let's just uh, uh-huh. clear the way and give him his uh, TED Talk space so he can talk about his, <laughs> his uh, identity for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> All right, I'll check back in in 25. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, being a four, like, I, symbols and myths are sort of like the home turf of identity uh, location. So, um, God, 
I would say that the mythological figure and archetype and symbol I relate to the most is Osiris. And Osiris is the Egyptian god of, they say the underworld, but the, it's not really the underworld. It's more like the inner world. In ancient Egypt, uh, everything is seen as sort of a creation is emanating from the unknowable sort of transcendental source of all things through different layers of reality, like reflections, like different layers of mirrors. And so uh, Osiris is sort of Lord of the intermediary realm. Like there's the material realm and there's the solar realm, but between them is the intermediary realm. It's just the realm of the transformation of the soul. And so he is the principle of resurrection and death. And um, he's the sort of the basis of like a lot of these resurrection gods like Christ, but uh, he's much more a, a, a something that, that the, um, the soul of the Egyptian or the soul of the, the you know, adherents of that mythology, uh, they, they transform in the image of Osiris. So what that means is like that there is this process of being disassembled like Osiris in the story. His body is ripped apart and then reassembled by Isis. Isis represents presence. And so I think that like I was looking at astrology the other day and uh, like Pluto is like for a number of reasons, like is the, the what's called the ruler of my natal chart, meaning it's the the heaviest energy, that planet in my natal chart. And it's a, it's a very, it's a energy focused on inner world and transformation and, and rebirth and things like this. And so I think that my life is uh, in, in my way of going about things is very much like trying to get to the core of the core of things and, and wanting that to uh, like turn me inside out um, even if it's quite painful. Uh, so yeah, then, then all, another aspect of this Osirian thing is the, that Osiris is the, the husband or the king of, you know, with his queen Isis. And so there's this lover aspect too. And we were talking I think before one of these calls and Emika was mentioning different uh, male archetypes based on um, I think the Moore and Gillette book, King, Warrior, Magician, and Lover. And originally uh, Union. But, union, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, these male archetypes. And it was funny because Emika uh, was like, you know, Emika is probably a warrior very clearly. And this is all Emika's. I'm, I'm jumping in for Emika right now, I guess, but was saying that you know david is the magician and i'm the lover and uh like that fucking fits because i mean my partner's voice like explicitly told me like oh you're the lover you're the lover you know yeah uh, i was wondering nancy the other the other archetype male archetype or masculine archetype is the king and i was wondering if in your bisexual relationships if perhaps you were uh the king queen and uh like when you're masculine, I don't know if you're, I don't know how it works, but if your masculine side is more pronounced and that'd be kind of funny if we were the four principal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I've only had one serious relationship with a woman and I was the dom, but I don't, I mean, yeah, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> we're we're going to get into this in, in much in depth because it's a huge one. And I think it's very juicy. Um, just the male and the female union type yeah. archetypes. In Michael teachings, isn't she king? Yeah, you've got lots of king. I'm in a, yeah, I'm an honorary king in Michael teachings. Mm-hmm. What he said, so possibly, maybe we're the <coughs> we're the the four males. Yeah, four that's what I. I mean, yeah, four, four horsemen. horsemen. Of <laughs> mm-hmm. 
hormonal apocalypse. But uh, but yeah, that, I think we should all read that book together. Uh, it's pretty easy because I, I mean, I have it and it's really easy. Yeah. Do you know one thing that that uh, I'm wondering about because there there's seven feminine uh, archetypes, and I was thinking, why is there only four male ones? And because generally things come in sevens a lot, and and so you could, I, I think there's probably a way to expand it to seven. Because the lady who I found who done the most work with the feminine archetypes, she's like got a website going and she's expanded them like subtypes of this hmm. seven core uh, feminine archetypes. And I was like, nobody's really, there's a book, The King Warrior, you know, Magician Lover, but there's probably a whole system there that could be created mm -hmm. I mean, it could be interesting if we came up if we fleshed out the male ones and sort of like a mirror of the feminine ones but anyway that's a whole totally. thing wait if i if you were gonna pick a feminine archetype for me what would i be <laughs> I, I like something like artemis you know demeter in the in the greek roman it's kind of like a huntress yeah goddess. i would that's, that was my guess is that uh, nancy's huntress energy cool yeah I mean, I always uh, jokingly call you Furiosa from. Yeah, I know, <laughs> especially when you take rooms. Yeah, What's that from? <laughs> uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Have you seen it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she looks exactly like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like a fierce, independent uh, yeah. thing that with Nancy of of Huntress energy, and that's what that is—just <clears throat> devil -like oh. care sort of attitude. Also, like cool. being in the woods and you know, like that <laughs> kind true. of shit, like forging independently into the woods or whatever. Yeah. So, why uh, I'll have you guys answer for me by asking the question: <laughs> <laughs> Why am I the magician? Well, I mean, what else could you be? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it's so, it's so fucking. You're so magician on steroids in terms of um, overly creative, conceptually and abstractly. So it's like where does your stuff come from? Like you're pulling ideas out of like some wild ideas out of the ether that are really connecting with people. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's part of your draw for the however many decades you've been on, involved in Enneagram forums. Like I remember the first time I jumped on EIDB and you were very noticeable. Well, I mean, look at him. <laughs> like his writing style is very noticeable. Like everything about, the way David frames and thinks about things is um, out of left field in terms of just uh, creativity and magical thinking on steroids. So that's what you are in essence, and just like wild ideas. I remember yeah. when I went to his website and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> the, uh, in the book, I, ha like, I haven't read this book, but uh, flipping through it, it says the energies of the magician archetype, wherever and whenever we encounter them are twofold. The magician is the knower, and he is the master of technology. Furthermore, the man who is guided by the power of the magician is able to fulfill these magician functions in part by use of his ritual initiatory process. He is the ritual elder who guides the process of transformation within and without. The human magician is always an initiate himself, and one of his tasks is to initiate others. But what, of what is he an initiate? The magician is an initiate of secret and hidden knowledge of all kinds, and this is an important point. All knowledge it takes special training to acquire is the province of the magician energy. Whether you want an apprentice trained to become a master electrician and unraveling the mysteries of high voltage, or a medical student grinding away day and night studying the secrets of the human body, and using the available technology to help your patients, or blah, 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 um, 
you're exactly in the same position as the apprentice shaman or witch doctor in tribal societies. Uh, you spend large amounts of time, energy, uh, and money in order to initiate into rarefied realms of secret power. Uh, blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. That's, anyway, that's basically it. Yeah, it's it's just just very. I mean, there are a lot of creative people that probably have magician energy, but like it's so fucking overt with David. <laughs> I also think David that like the way that like what I've observed in you is that you're not as much a pursuer as you like put like a, make a space for someone to pursue you. And yes. that's yep. like conjuring. It's conjuring for sure. Yeah. Things come to me it's, and it's kind of, it is a quality of, you know, things coming in from the ether, whether it's people or ideas and intuitions. Sometimes it's kind of what to me are big visions, you know, things like putting the elements with the instincts and those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah that's, that, all that stuff is like magic. <laughs> it's like, have you ever been around someone who does magic tricks or you've seen it on TV and just the, the amount of attention and intrigue they're able to conjure up just people being able to see something that they don't understand, like, or even um, people who do those kind of death defying tricks. Mm-hmm. Like it's ridiculous how many people are captivated by that kind of stuff. So magic is a really, really, really strong draw. So to be able to do magic in conceptual space, because the Enneagram is kind of like, has a really conservative backdrop that seems kind of um, academic in a way where people just like, what's the source? Who, you know, yeah. versus... <laughs> it's uh, anti-magic. Right, anti-creative in a way. And so the, the, that you're doing that with the Enneagram, I think is such a huge contrast to what people expect. So- it leads into to me also like an archetype that's big for me um is the trickster yes and right there you go yeah. that is directly magician yeah. yeah and it's like um you know throwing something out there that's new and kind of just uh messing with the system in a certain yeah. way but not just to mess with it right if there's actually some magic in it and um so it's kind of a, cha- a change catalyst as in terms of conceptually, you know, ideas about the Enneagram and how to use the symbol and, you know, some of these other things like bringing in the Baba Chakra and stuff like that. And it's kind of, it's got a colorful quality to it, you know, and mm. which is, I guess, kind of magician-like. Yeah. The, oh, the other part of the question that she asked is, you know, how this stuff plays out in relationships. I think John kind of touched on that for him. What What about you, David? Well, <laughs> or like, yeah, the, the shadow of this. How you experience the shadow side of this and how that so, plays out. Right, yeah. Mm. <laughs> God. Let's see. Um, so trickster. Well, in relationships, I mean, I'm kind of constantly trickstering in the sense mm-hmm. of poking, teasing, you know, I like to provoke. I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm assertive in romantic relationships. I'm not, you know, lay back nine in romantic relationships. I'm pretty out there and, and kind of wanting to keep things interesting and, you know, juicy. And, and uh, so there's a lot of humor and a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm a physical person. So there's also a lot of like, playing with somebody's body in a certain way that's non-sexual that's humor oriented and stuff and doing strange new things with their body and it's like <laughs> what the, what the hell are you you know what i mean just <laughs> um anyway I, I won't go into detail on what, what my <laughs> acts are 
Yeah. Um, magical, magical stirrings <laughs> and potions. and <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, to the degree that like Trickster has a kind of on one level of a type seven kind of energy, I'm famously, you know, uh, non-committal in relationships. So there's kind of that people, uh, women have that sense that, uh, am I going to get to keep him? You know what I mean? And, and heartbreaker. Yeah. And they're usually getting more attached. And I've always got that seven thing where there's one foot out the door <laughs> and I'm, and I'm not showing my heart all that much. Right. So that's one way that the, the trickster piece, you know, it's like I could vanish. Right. Mm -hmm. Or something. Yeah. What about you, Emika? So the only sort of, uh, first time I read this myth, I was like, Ooh, uh, I'm sure y'all are familiar with Hades and the story of him abducting Persephone. How do you say her? Persephone? Persephone. That relates to Pluto, by the way, too. Yeah. 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 Well, I just, I really like the story of, um, you know, he really likes, he's in love with her and he figures out a way to basically kidnap her and bring her to the underworld where she has to stay <laughs> until he eventually has to return her and then she has to like spend a portion of her time up uh, above and then some part uh, underneath. And I thought that was cool because I, I can see myself in the sense that I, whenever I get in contact with people to sort of uh, force people to look at their underbellies like I, I really get a, a kick out of forcing people to get into the hell of whatever it is and um there's a little bit of the trickster stuff there with my seven wing but for the most part it's like violently pushing people into the um to, you know getting under their skin into the underworld of what they think is going on or who they are and there's you know there's a romantic part of piece of this where it's this is happening in romantic space so um i can do the process of trying to uh get the attention of someone i'm interested in it, it is infuriating <laughs> that i'm you know creating uh, like trying to get under their skin as much as fucking possible so yeah that's that's probably hades satan <laughs> whatever that's that's an archetype that I, I relate to well that um that myth of hades and persephone one of the one of the symbols like so for people who don't know uh persephone is the daughter of demeter the goddess of the harvest and the earth and very you know like surface world like material mo mother matter uh -huh. and uh one of uh, persephone's names is kore which i believe is not is one word for soul it means girl but it's it's like anima and the it's called the rape of persephone where she's taken into the underworld um represents the soul this is not just the feminine soul this is masculine too but um but uh you know it's a it's a it's a female archetype being like taken into the world of the unconscious like mm. often our our day world ego personality resists indulging or giving space to the unconscious and so this is like where uh you know you something dramatic happens like you you fall in love or uh you're induced into a strange dream space or something something from the unconscious erupts and like through that process of her becoming the queen of the underworld where she she makes a she and demeter make a deal with H <clears throat> excuse me hades where she's a you know above 
above ground during spring and summer and in winter and fall she's below the ground which is like accounting for the seasons but she sort of comes into her womanhood from girlhood and she's living in two worlds she's living in the outer world and the inner world together and so Hades in that archetype is the the seizing force that brings the soul into the underworld and what you know the one of the uh pluto the roman name for hades means wealth and mm-hmm. you know you can think of like coal and oil and the minerals of the of of the un, of under the ground and the the nutrients of the soil hades is just like is osiris in a different form basically mm-hmm. uh more of greek and romanized form but it's the same principle of that like underworld fecundity that like get that's like emanating through the vegetation and through the through sexual creation like you know dionysian flourishing uh but from a you know sort of different angle there you go one last For thing i want to i mentioned about archetype that like is reminding me is another one is orpheus which is like if people know me on fucking facebook uh my name got stuck as orpheus through a whole long fucking story but orpheus who's like you know this is a very like mixture of osiris and lover archetype i guess but um Eurydice is Orpheus's girlfriend. He's like this uh, place the liar. He's the archetypal artist. She goes. She she's dead. She goes in the underworld. Orpheus is like, I'm gonna go fucking get her. Uh, he plays his liar and and you know charms the creatures of the underworld, including Hades and Persephone. Persephone has empathy for Orpheus's plight and says, Okay, you can take Eurydice to the surface, um, but uh, you can't look at her until her soul has reached the surface. So guided by by Hermes, uh, Orpheus goes back up through to the surface world. He gets to the surface, and before Eurydice has gotten out of the cave of the underworld, he looks back and he gets a glimpse of her before she's pushed back into the underworld. And uh, you know, there's a there's an essay by George Bataille. Uh, I think it's that Bataille that really influenced me, which is the idea that the artist is the one who has the glimpse of the underworld. And brings it into the work of art. So the work of art is an Apollonian form, is like a is a form that evokes the Dionysian, evokes the underworld, the unconscious, and the things that are can't be directly known. And so like that archetype has uh, been another big one. So I'll shut the fuck up about myself. Uh, <laughs> this was a John that. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could you know keep going, but I'll fucking stop. It's she. I guess she asked about uh, shadow. How does she shows up for me? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just overdoing hell, uh, not knowing when to stop in terms of there's a worse hell that I can put you through. <laughs> and it's, I think, yeah, at my worst, I can, I can just be terrible. It's not like anything physical, it's just psychological t- terrorism, basically, on multiple levels. So that's the shadow aspect of um, the Hades-Satan archetype for me. Mm. <laughs> Nancy, what about you? Did you? What's your the shadow of your archetype in relationships? Um. Oh, you're awesome all the time. That's, that's... yeah, exactly. Um, I think well in this particular relationship, I think you know it changes relationship to relationship. Um, but in this particular one, I have a tendency to um assume and make judgments that are incorrect as brian will tell you so i i feel like that could be a bit of that huntress energy that kind of dominant like i know what's best uh-huh. i know what's going on here i have the right instincts and then he's like nope <laughs> so yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of assuming that goes on in my head that is not correct. It could be part of that archetype. But it's interesting that you guys said Huntress because, um, and this isn't really like archetypal stuff, but the only movie that I uh, that I really like saw myself in where I was like, oh, like I relate was fucking um, Katniss. What's that movie? Oh, Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. Hunger Games. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. the only one where I was like, I relate. Yeah, <laughs> what do you, what do you relate to? Huntress. Oh. Um, I, I relate to the main character, Katniss. It's just like ability to kind of fucking make shit work and like because mm. she's done she she's made shit work her whole life so she's like well i'm gonna survive through these hunger games mm-hmm. yeah whenever people ask about movie characters i don't think i've ever seen a character that i really related to it's a tough one that's that's so interesting because like i am so like i resonate like i don't i'm not like oh that's me but i like <laughs> I I f- interpret so much of myself through m- symbols and and you know different things. So like you know y'all know that like since I was a kid I've fucking loved Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the like I so like when I was my dad got me into weightlifting when I was like fourteen and I was super skinny and hated myself and really not physical. And I remember uh, there was like like some Wolverine comics in the basement where the like bench press was. I remember I like I felt like so pathetic and i couldn't do the like just the fucking bar or whatever and i remember i like caught these comics at the corner of mine was like wolverine and then like i could kind of do it and it was like it was like this sort of like um it's like my extroverted sensation function like represented as something and so one time i was in ayahuasca uh i had an ayahuasca experience and wolverine came to me in the ayahuasca experience oh wow (laughs) and he represented the masculine that cuts away what's extraneous or unnecessary and you know represents this like vulnerable on the outside which like i think my forishness is like there's a certain sensitivity i have but then he's invulnerable on the inside and i kind of relate that too Mm -hmm. um i can relate to bits of characters maybe certain lines um like for example there will be blood the fucking (laughs) like he's just so maniacally like selfish and greedy and just hateful and i really really connected to like when he was like i have a hatred in me i don't want anyone to succeed like just there's very few characters that that i ever see on tv uh on in film that kind of get at that venomous hatred of everyone <laughs> it's a particular version of eight too yeah yeah that character anyway um uh, any, uh, you got any more um shadow for me i mean i sort of mentioned it yeah just being you know sort of adolescent and in the sense of uh, peter pan peter pan you know um not committing and uh sort of there's always the threat that I'm about to leave, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that's, and I'm kind of using that as a power move, probably. Anyway. Yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> I don't leave. They, they end up leaving. <laughs> they can't, they can't. I mean, take it that's such an eight <laughs> thing, though, like to like, like, I'm going to drive you insane to see if you can take it. And like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like, really like, I, I, want, I don't me. want you to, I want you to, like, I don't want you to leave me, but it's like, I'm, it's a rejection type strategy where it's like, I'm going to put you through a lot so that you, like, w- will you really withstand the storm? Well, there, that's true too, but there is the aspect of me wanting someone to leave and just like, I, I, there, you know, like for example, if I, there's an aspect of just the normal me being my normal eight self just to see if you can handle me. 
but I don't want you to leave. And then there is, I want you to leave and I'm going to, I'm going to like bash your head over with this rock, you know, until you can't fucking, you know, like you can really fucking go overboard to drive someone away. And so, yeah, there's definitely well, that as a strategy. Can you give an example? Cause I think somebody that doesn't know you might go, Oh my God, Emika is toxic masculinity. Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? It's like, not like, well, that's you know. correct. That's correct. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you support Pornhub. Yeah, I'm a big yeah, which sponsored by women all the way. Sponsored by Pornhub.com. Um, I guess it's a way of creating separation. If if I have decided, sometimes I, I get involved with certain people that are invested in attaching themselves to me, or maybe it might be romantically, and maybe I recognize that that uh, it's over, or I, I want to be done. And maybe they're not listening. They're not saying they're not listening to the fact that I want it to be done. And so I, I that's when I would just figure out whatever it is that that will uh, provoke them to just get them to the point to, for them to see that it is not working. It, like it's almost like how much can I repulse you if there's if I'm repulsed and maybe they don't understand that there isn't any chemistry and we shouldn't be talking and they keep pushing it, I'm going to try to force them to feel the same level of repulsion that I'm feeling, which is, you don't understand how much uh, this dynamic is a turnoff, and I'm going to get you turned off. <laughs> I'm going Damn. to get you turned off. Um, and so I might push into, you know, maybe I know that this person's sensitive about this issue, and I are, it's coming from a real place. It's like, Maybe if I was really trying to to get someone to like me, I wouldn't push so hard into those areas. But now I'm just like going a thousand percent into that area that I know that you don't like until you break, you know. So mm -hmm. like, but generally, I mean, there's just me being myself, which a lot of people might experience as you know, like hard to deal with or uh, just unpleasant. An asshole. Yeah, an asshole, and and that's fine, <laughs> you know, because if you're not you're not comfortable enough in. To, to deal with that, then we're not going to get along. So I, I put that up front, you know, like if you know anything about me, you should understand that I'm kind of an asshole and you got to deal with that. You know, I was on a call this past week. I mentioned it to you guys in the chat and I called the guy a, f a fire breathing asshole and he just smiled, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> ate. it's like, and ate. yeah. It's like okay, next what what? <laughs> yeah, so what? Yeah, <laughs> this what else is not is new? new. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, care about. Um, this is something that should be said about eights in general that they don't really have much issue around their their badness. And this is not going to be true for every eight. There's some eights that are invested in making you see them in a good light, but for the most part, um, if someone thinks I'm toxic, then I'm going to tell them I'm worse. I'm probably worse than you think I am. If you know, but you know, I'm probably better in some ways than you think I am. It's all in there at the same time in the same person. <laughs> well, I just want to add though, uh, you know, to push back on you, Emika, that uh, you're actually very, you know, like a very kind hearted, yes, warm, uh, really caregiving person. And like, you know, not to be sappy, but like you've had my back big time and like. Uh, you know, so like, I, I'm not trying to negate what you're saying, but oh, I, want yeah. I want people who listen to this, like to understand that it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of dimensions. It's all yes, relative. Yes. Yeah. I think that's part of the thing people don't understand sometimes is like, yes, I am terrible, but I'm also a really great guy. Yeah. You know, like, it depends on who, and it depends on the situation. It depends on what my 
what I'm trying to do. Like when I'm fiercely uh, protective of my shit, my, you know, people I care, care about. So I'm, I might be extremely terrible to certain people and extremely kind to others. Uh, so it just depends. I didn't mention my shadows, but just real quick, I, uh, I can, you know, being love, the lover archetype, whatever you can imagine, like I have a line of two. So obsessive, uh, <laughs> yeah. little codependent, uh, <laughs> uh, a little teens, tiny bit, just a bit. <laughs> uh, very laser focused, very jealous and possessive. And, uh, like I want to hunt down all your ex lovers and castrate them, you know, um, <laughs> into the opera shit. So yeah. oh God. makes sense. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Even for sexual types, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm intense, intense. for, for that intense. shit. And as a sexual type. that like Naranjo is wrong in a lot of shit, but like he called for sexual for competition hatred, which is sexual competition, not like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna die at three. But uh in hatred, and it's like that is yeah. really accurate. No, there's a few of those Naranjos that are pretty spot on. Like the Sexual 7 one is pretty good too, I think. What did he use for that one? That one, it's something like the Dreamer. Something like or a something dreamer. Like it's something like the Dreamer. And it's like a, it's sort of a magical thinking. It's a softer 7. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we should move on to the next one. Hey, big hormone babes. This is Daniel. I am a nine ring one. Self bred social nine wing one uh, nine six three trifix. Uh, I'm not even gonna say that this is uh, a a roast. I would have said that this is gonna be a roast, but I I really just don't have that in me. Um, think of it as a sweet nine critique. Um, so I really appreciated your uh, the way you talk about the underworld types um, and are elucidating misperceptions of those. Uh, Y'all. Typed my friend Scott, uh, who thought he was a five as a six. Um, and, you know, he's on his own journey with that, but I tend strongly towards agreeing with y'all um, after having learned more about what a five actually is and how that's structured, uh, which has been really interesting. Um, and the more I learn about five, the more I see the influence of five on this podcast. Uh, I mean, particularly through John and Emeka's uh, fixes. Um, but the the entire thing just kind of has a nice undertone of five energy. And while I really appreciate that, uh, I also see that as being like slightly untethered from the, the rest of uh, Enneagram work or that there's a potential to, to drift far from um, what's actually grounded into just exploring new shit. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a higher potential for bullshit in that. I don't know. Um, but I do appreciate the the balance to all of the positivity and inaccuracies that come out of, you know, American culture and Christianity and all that. Um, but uh, kind of jumping off that, this is maybe a possible topic of discussion or who knows. Um, uh, I'm observing that in my own mind fix of six, I'm very interested in what's true. And that comes up whenever I listen to your podcast. Or really anything. I'm I'm always referencing what's true, despite being a nine. And on that, I'll say I really enjoy thinking of the nine essence as harmony rather than peace. Uh, that makes more sense to me. And so, what I'm curious on your thoughts are is whether there's anything to uh, considering the essences of a trifix. Like, is there something to considering how, for just a Bermuda type, for example, harmony, truth 
and value all interrelate. Would be curious. Thanks for existing. Cheers. Okay. So, so what it's... does he want us to talk about? So, okay, I've listened to, to the main questions, I think. <laughs> Listen to that a few times now. And uh, like the first part is a commentary about the fiveness of our show and a slight critique saying that we are untethered, untethered from the rest of the Enneagram work and there's a potential for no grounding and potential for bullshit. And then the real question, I guess somewhat related to that, is the essential qualities, if there are essential qualities to trifixes. So uh, he, he, as a nine, like value and truth, is that a thing? I think that's something we've discussed in the past or the possibility of getting into that in depth. But really the, the point of, I think what we should focus on responding is just the initial criticism, because that's a thing that pops up again and again about us. Um, anyway, I'm, I want to, I have a lot of, uh, I want to say about that. I have an issue with the idea that what we're doing is ungrounded because we don't drop a lot of references to other teachers or other places that we were drawing from. At the end of the day, this energy of this podcast is just friends, you know, Enneagram friends that are having a conversation. When I talk to David or John, I'm not saying, you know, when uh, Riso Hudson <laughs> mentioned this concept, no, we just talk. Because we're drawing from, if you've been involved with the Enneagram for as long as some of us have, you've exposed yourself to all the major sources. Um, I didn't get here because I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass. I've read, um, I know I'm aware of all the major teachers. And the reason we're doing what we're doing is because maybe what we've been exposed to has been incomplete or inadequate in certain areas. Uh, we're standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. I don't understand the idea that what we're doing is ungrounded because the Enneagram is based on a specific structure and we're exploring the edges of that, but this is not just some random vague shit. I can understand wanting to kind of trace back sort of, you know, maybe all our main points or whatever, <laughs> or every point to some source yes uh, but uh you know i think partly this is the it's somewhat social last besides five it's kind of just not uh referencing into what you know the established uh sources are saying and mm -hmm. and and getting and being attached to the history i mean we're just kind of going forward uh again i i understand the desire to do it it's just we it's just not a natural function for us though i mean with my seven fix it's just like <laughs> man <laughs> and <laughs> why and, and also i want to say that i think i've said this before that um i don't think people question enough the the sources of the accepted ideas and the thinking that they subscribe to because at some point, everything that you understand to be the Enneagram today and some of these theories and concepts, even trifix, was a bunch of, a, a couple of people having a conversation and somebody landing on an insight, developing it, putting it in a book, publishing that book, and then a decade or two later, you accept that as canon. But that process doesn't stop. Like, it just ha so happens to be that in this field, things are so conservative and sort of uh, um, academic. Versus maybe let's look at like a field like music 
or art where people are discovering new methods and new techniques all the time and are destroying whatever came before them, things are changing so quickly. In this field, just because it's in a book and it was, you know, it was uh, taught and referenced by someone 20 years ago, that holds more value than the, the actual merits of the idea itself. So here's one thing that's important to me in all of this, and I'll speak as an Enneagram, like a religious zealot. The Enneagram is a, an organic reality. It's a discovery about human beings. And so it's whatever it is, as opposed to whatever authors are saying about it, right? And that's, yeah. that's a pretty significant thing right there. It's a living symbol that has a lot of things in it, even besides personality types. And so the Enneagram, just like doctors are still finding new things about the human body, the Enneagram is still revealing itself and it's going to keep revealing itself for quite a while. So it's not, it's not a matter of it being a man-made system and we look to those people that wrote those earliest books and that's it, it's done right? It's not that. So when I hear someone questioning us uh, who might not otherwise question someone like uh, Beatrice Chestnut, it makes me think that they are viewing it as a, like you said, as a science um, instead of an art or just, you know, like a fluid kind of thing. But so then they're kind of viewing work as these research documents and papers. And so if you're not citing, it's um, like hurtful and harmful. And they just view it in, in the form of like a, like, a, like a scientific journal or something. Yes. And that, that comes through in like the um, uh, conferences. It's just white professionals. And so they're taking this white professional thing and making it more white professional and forcing their white professional view on how it should be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you did, if you, I mean, if you were in science and you were taking someone else's discoveries, yeah, you would be in big trouble, but that's not how it works because it's not. A that's a good thing. distinction that you're making there <laughs> between art and science. And, you know, like there are a lot of people imposing that uh, view that kind of comes from that world of it's about credentials it's about peer review the validity of an idea is based on how accepted it is and how referenced it is by other people versus in this space and especially like for something like the collage exercise which just kind of like a out of left field thing and people are wanting us to prove it and <laughs> what I was trying to tell people to do is see for yourself, like actually jump in. And this is kind of an overarching, uh, my point of view on the Enneagram is like, you can't, you can't, you have to actually get involved to understand what's going on. Like people are looking for someone with credentials to give them a description about what things mean, instead of actually trying to think about if it makes sense to me or not, what is my actual experience of this type structure? Does the, do these ideas make sense? People want to be handed down descriptions by someone who has letters next to their name so they can stop thinking and that's totally not what we're about here in our group with this podcast is like you know the like david has said this the enneagram is a living thing and it does have a structure and if you understand that structure 
then you can start to explore the edges of that and come up with your own insights. All of you, anyone, anyone listening to this podcast can do that themselves. It's not just us. You can actually be curious enough to explore the Enneagram and discover new things that no one else has. I think what I would add, I agree with it, you know, all that. What I would add is that the Enneagram is, it's a symbol that is meant to be interpreted and it's meant to be interpreted like in real time, like when you're engaging with it. It's like a, it's a, it's meant to be understood through a process of inquiry rather than a collection of key terms or structure or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's a structure to it, but it's like, it's one that has to be freshly interpreted in your direct experience. And so one of the difficulties I have is that there have been a lot of really great insights done by various authors and teachers, but sometimes the authors and teachers might use a phrase or a term. They might, uh, that, that, in the mind of the reader or the listener uh, evoke something and totally contrary to what's authentic to the Enneagram or yes. even, you know, there's a plenty of bad material out there. There's a lot of shots in the dark and like, you know, y'all are speaking to citations stuff like that, but something to keep in mind is like the earliest authors and teachers were just making shit up as best yep. they could, as best they understood it. And so uh, one of the problems I think is developed is like people who don't want to make certain originators or, or foundational figures wrong while at the same time not having the tools and not having the uh, basically like not having internalized the Enneagram and the qualities of the types enough to do that inquiry themselves so they can question the uh you know the the people that came before from a place of some kind of uh authority is not the right word but like inner knowing or you know, uh, coming to sincere insights. And so yes. like, you know, don't, don't believe us. Like we don't care what anybody, if anybody believes our perspective, but you know, it's, it's more like part of what we're doing here is not to teach you the Enneagram. Part of what we're doing here is to, uh, basically gesture to a whole wider world that the Enneagram is a part of. And a lot of my frustration with, uh, other podcasts I've listened to on the Enneagram, they're sort of like rote description, description. Mm -hmm description and there's no it keeps the enneagram at a distance and it yes. doesn't invite you to look at anything new you're like oh that's like me or that's not like me or that's like my friend or that's not like my friend but like part of what i appreciate about us is like we definitely obviously draw from concepts other people use but even then i think that we uh elaborate on them or clarify them or or provide insights to them or even sometimes recognize what the insight was that wasn't fleshed out by the person that had the insight such that like I think that you know that it's getting away from a certain kind of self-helpy sanitized language and it's making it more dynamic so that you're invited to like engage with it from a place of internalization rather than arm's length descriptions and and whatever. So yes. I, I think there's I think there's validity to the idea that you know we might be going off the rails in some of uh, some places, <laughs> but like that's part of the part part of the point of this. Yes. So one thing too is just to remember the the enneagram of personality you know uh comes from oscar achazo being exposed to the enneagram symbol from some kind of gurdjieff lineage and achazo intuited and or channeled the whole thing in other words speaking of magicians he just grabbed it out of the air yep. there's in, in i mean certainly he John, you'll know better the the history and and some of what Achazo studied and so forth. But I mean, none. I mean, even given any of what he might have studied, 
you know, I, I think like astrology and so forth was, was a piece of it possibly. Yes. Yes. It was. Um, but, um, you know, to set <clears throat> those nine types, you know, as type styles, um, and to have that inter inner interplay of how they work together and form up into all these triads and they all equal nine or, or uh, multiples of three um, and all of that stuff. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's magic, you know yep. what I mean? So, uh, you know, so you can't, in a way, you can't really put together a bunch of citations for even Achazo, the originator. The originators weren't approaching the Enneagram from some kind of scientific. This is, this is, was like an art form, kind of like woo type shit. <laughs> like yeah. They were probably high. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And, and even like uh, people quote Naranjo so much, those original descriptions, but they weren't even written down. This is some stuff that he came up with his, his own impressions of these type instant combinations and he didn't mean for people to base a whole typology around them. It's kind of like what we're doing now. Let's say one day we, you know, like we did on the trifix roast thing, kind of to give an impression of our idea of each trifix. And I, and I believe that they are accurate impressions, but let's just say maybe we got some of those wrong. Let's say maybe a couple of them aren't really spot on, but they kind of give the general idea. And let's say just someone listened to this podcast and wrote an entire book based on our the stuff that we said and created a whole um line by line description based on all those descriptions we did we we said on the podcast and then sold that as a uh as a book and people started reading that stuff and started saying well john luckovich as a source of said that 278 was uh fucking what is it jazz hands fucking yeah, yeah. you know just like taking an impression like that and and making it canon it's not and so then everyone sort of starts to look at that description and base their understanding based on on one description that somebody came up with which doesn't really give the whole picture so it, it's a part of a, a larger problem of people just wanting to be told what to think by people by authorities and not really getting to the enneagram like if you really understand the enneagram you should be able to come up with your own description of a type from your based on your own understanding of the structure um that is going to be similar to somebody else's description but like your own actually lived experience impression of that type instead of just something that you read and you accepted it's also um i think people don't realize because we do speak fairly definitively that we're ultimately open and we've been wrong a bunch of times about yep. for example like typing different celebrities or whatever where you or even people that we know and you realize oh my god that person is not that type and it completely you know it's like a, it's like a small revelation about uh that whatever type that you realize that person is and it's and there's really you know leading up to all of this bullshit that we're saying all the time has been you know a many dozens of times of being wrong and realizing that you're wrong about mm -hmm. stuff yeah that's how we got here like <laughs> you don't you don't learn without making mistakes and being curious enough to push into one direction and maybe you realize it's the wrong direction but you have to be curious enough to keep digging 
uh, eventually to get a, to a better place of understanding and even to refine whatever place that understanding uh, that you have. And I think at least a vibe that we have overall is just continuously subverting whatever previous understanding that you have, being open to, you know, like having a deeper understanding than the one that you had last week. Um, that's the only way you get better. And I, I think that's why we're so good, you know, at unpacking the Enneagram is that we're willing to do that constantly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've said it a number of times. I wouldn't want to be, and I'll say it even five years from now, I wouldn't want to be where I was two months ago relative mm -hmm. to the Enneagram in terms of insight and just seeing how nuances of combinations of type, you know, trifix stuff, just any of it. But I think one of the things he said is like the, there's a potential for, for bullshit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it is true, but uh, why do I have a problem with that? Um, <laughs> I mean, I it's, know. to me, it's just um, think for yourself, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, it's like, um, you know, use the different authors in a modular way and even sometimes in a in an, you know, integrative way in the sense of, you know, what's the essential thing that let's say these just picking a random number, five different authors are writing about, I don't know, any type type six or something. And, and what's the thing that's underneath that? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think. The underlying thing that's being said in this comment to me is that there's a lot of uh, differing perspectives on what the Enneagram is. And because you're not, we're untethered to what the, I guess, rest of uh, the teachers and podcasts seem to be doing, that there's a, a high potential that we're going to, you know, completely go off the rails. But I, I, my pushback on that would be, so what? Like, mm -hmm. what's the danger um, if we go off the rails? Because at the end of the day, you need to decide for yourself what's real. We like, seek to go off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, we aren't hurting anyone. We aren't in science. No one's going to die if we go off the rails. It yeah, doesn't what, matter. What's the, what's, I mean, it's the thing that I ask sixes sometimes what is the bad thing that is going to happen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know like it's just ideas here and some of these ideas are most you know i think most of our ideas are, are great i'm biased mm -hmm. but if we go off the rails just be like yeah i don't agree with that unsubscribe. Just, yeah just <laughs> unsubscribe like you know like i feel like or that's call kind of a, in and tell us <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. kind of a sixth thing of the danger of divergence you know um no it's it's fine it's it's okay if you might run into some ideas that are completely cool and some of them that you think are off the rails you can just delete that from your mind it's fine find another podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then he had a i don't know if you guys have more to say on that but no but i was gonna get to his uh, essence question yes okay mm, yeah. the trifix essence essential mm -hmm. qualities that's an um, interesting yeah, we talked about that briefly before. Yeah, and I think uh, the short answer is yes. Like, I think that uh, each combination does represent its own essential quality, basically. Um, but, uh, you know, with the different emphases, uh, and it doesn't negate your primary type's essential quality, but it's like a, it's like a, 
a fragment or a fracture on that essential quality. So like Emika and I both have the same trifix, but you know, obviously I'm a four and he's an eight. And so I'm still essential depth is still my thing, but it's going to have overlays of power and um, insight eight and five. Whereas mm-hmm. Emika is doing power with depth and insight and uh, you know, don't get too caught up in the words that we use for the essence qualities because they're gestalts that uh, the words are meant to, to gesture to. So if you're like, oh, how does something, something, something all come together? Like that may be useful exercise and it may not be if it prevents you from getting the vibe of the essential quality. But uh, I think it's a great question. And I think it's a really interesting one that we should do a whole thing on eventually. Yeah. I mean, you just have to start digging into all 27 of them and just start you know, finding it sort of. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the, like the first question of archetype, uh, you know, starts to like that, that archetype is one of our best languages for uh, gesturing towards essential qualities because essential qualities are non-functional. And so they're energies basically. And if you think too much in terms of function, too much in terms of what is this look like versus what does this feel like? Or what's the sensibility of it? Uh, you're going to get, you're gonna get lost you know i'm remembering now that we when we talked about this you had mentioned john that uh maybe the best way to represent this sort of trifix essential quality is through aesthetics art mm-hmm. and you know sort of like what's going on what happens with the collage exercise where it's not logical you know to look at an image and you but you somehow get a sense of what's being represented in someone's collection of images and i think sometimes with uh, like for example, with four, five, eight, trying to put words together that actually that capture what that trifix is all about, versus maybe representing something like that aesthetically, where it's like you feel what that is, versus trying to un- like conceptualize what what that trifix is, might be the way to go about that. But I mean, that's not something you can easily put on a podcast. <laughs> I also again- the red dragon. Do you see? <laughs> do you see? <clears throat> Sorry, David. Which gets back to you're not going to be able to reference something, you know, to, in this conversation, uh, reference, you know, make citations of books or something. Uh, I mean, his question, it's going into new exploratory territory Yeah, itself. So he's uh, inadvertently launching us into possible more bullshit. Yep. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> that whole question um, was a contradiction. <laughs> was he? Did he? Is he a Bermuda? Did he say he's a Bermuda? He did say he was a Bermuda, but when he sent in the question, he was question. He started thinking he might. He now thinks he has a five fix, but mm. that was a Bermuda question. Yeah, that's a super Bermuda question. But I also want to point out the fact that David just told a Bermuda to think for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to push back. I mean, I know that you're a Bermuda, but Bermuda is definitely like. The the thing that makes the struggle of a Bermuda is that, yes, yeah, so much of their quality is being so open. Uh, and But I think that Bermudas can, I mean, are definitely think for themselves. I just think it's a matter of having a certain mastery over their own structure to be mm-hmm. able to, yeah. uh, like, to be within their structure. Because a lot of times the problem that, like, what, what can happen with Bermudas is that they allow the interjections that they've accumulated to just run the show and they just sort of fall behind them so you know uh it's a struggle but i think bermuda has some of the most uh talking about channeling 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like isn't yeah. isn't OD Bermuda? Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's some that's some channel ready shit. Yep. <laughs> that's Big true. time. Okay, next. This is the six eight six with an eight fix versus a eight with a six mm-hmm. fix question, which shouldn't take very long. I'm gonna just kill this. Uh, I'm Sam. Uh, Self press social six wing five six a three fix. Uh, and I would just like to ask, how do you tell the difference between a six with an eight fix uh, against an eight with a six fix? Because there's actually a lot of discussions in the Facebook, the Instagram universe Facebook group. And we're kind of at a loss in how to tell the difference. So if there's a way you can at least boil down how to tell them apart, that would be great. Uh, thanks. Hey, Sam, uh, I thought we covered this already. You did a whole post, you know, six versus eight. Um, I, every time I hear this kind of question about six with an eight fix versus eight with a six fix, just take off the, the fixes and let, and there you have your answer. What is the difference between a six and an eight? Because one thing that I see people doing very often with trifix, and this is something we, uh, I want to, like, I want to push into, don't use trifix to muddy the waters or to as a uh, as a reason to mistype. The types aren't similar, especially when you're looking from different centers. Six is nothing like eight, except you know, you know, both being reactive types like having similar fixes. Me and John have the same fixes overall, but we're <laughs> I'm still a body type and he's still an image type. That's a completely different world. We're not, you know, we have like an over, like a overarching similarity to some degree when you zoom out, but we're very different, even though we have the same instinct stacking and the same trifix. So a six with an eight fix it's not going to be anything like an eight with a six fix. That's like asking what's the difference between a six and an eight. So, I mean, people who are confused about those, those types don't fully understand what six, the difference between a six and an eight is. You know, the, the, the important thing is not to overthink it too much because, yeah, like a, a, a six with an eight fix is going to be a more assertive, more reactive kind of six. But as Emika is speaking to, they come from a six point of view. They come from the mental center not from the body center. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that being really clear on what center someone's coming from is like the real key. And I think often in online spaces, uh, this sort of goes back to Daniel's question for me about uh, interpretation and, and, and whatever, because I think that the idea of the counterphobic six gets taken a little bit too literally or strongly. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, six is, have what you call phobic or counterphobic behavior, but I think both of those ways of describing six stay too much in the descriptive realm rather than in the structural, what's you know gestalt realm, what's like going on the inside. And so it's you know it's it's easy to uh, to see someone being aggressive and go oh that's an eight or oh that's counterphobic six. And sometimes the quote unquote counterphobic six or eight is really a nine or a seven or, or three, you know, or any number of other types. Uh, some of these things that are more flashy, like aggression that stand out when people express them. Uh, I think those sometimes take up the oxygen of being able to see the whole person when you're typing yourself or other people. So, you know, 
be able to uh, not get caught up, like when you're when you're observing somebody or you're observing yourself. If you see a particular feature, don't necessarily say, "Oh, that means that type," uh, and then get confused because you sort of tacked one association onto one point in the enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, to give an example that we talk about all the time is four and nine. And people say four is the sensitive, emotional, expressive type. And how many nines think that, like see themselves in that? Because they are that type. Uh, So sensitive and expressive and whatever needs to be more specifically defined in terms of four and how it relates to structure four and nine so that confusion doesn't happen. So you're not going, oh, this person's a smart person. They must be a five or they're, you know, whatever. Like, uh, it's like sort of being able to not get seduced by one or two traits that stand out and to be able to like ob- take in more more uh, more observation and depending on your type, engaging your other two centers to observe the person or yourself. So like if you're six, man, I don't know the difference between a six and an eight with a fix or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I might be a little bit too in my head about it or uh, I might in embody type, I might be going with my first gut impression and maybe I'm missing something or a heart type. It's like, oh, this is make, this is resonating with something or it's feeling or association. I'm, I get too caught up in that one piece of data. So learning how to take a gut impression, uh, an emotional impression and, and to see freshly and newly in the moment, the mental center is, is I think will clarify some of those issues. And the other thing is sometimes people get confused with uh, the fixes the way an eight is going to relate to their six fix, if they have a six fix, is not really going to look anything like the way, like that combination eight, six versus six, eight, an eight with the six fix isn't going to seem very sixes. Well, yeah, it's like you're going to use your fix in support of the agenda of the dominant type. And so if you're an eight, you're going to be using your six fix as part of your EO expanding project, so to speak. And if you're a six with an eight fix, you're going to be using the, the boundaries to support a six-ish agenda for truth and for what's real and for to see more clearly. And to, you know, uh, it goes back to the center and goes back to the main type, but also uh, another issue is confidence. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is like the sensitivity word. Like people go, oh, eight, eights are confident and sixers are not confident. I know some fucking confident sixes and I've seen some really unconfident eights mm-hmm. and what they look like when they're confident or unconfident is very, very different. So again, like uh, you might go, Oh, this is a very put together person. And they could just be a, a, a six who's really awake to their shit. And, you know, uh, I think our big wet boy, former uh, president Trump was an eight with a six fix yep. and you could see his insecurity. You could see it, but people go, Oh, eights aren't insecure. Uh, you know, it must be, he must be a three. <laughs> and, and to your point about using it for expansion with Trump, I mean, he's using six conspiracy theories right. to expand. Yep. Boom. There it is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, um, it goes back to the, the, the core, because sometimes people get confused with concepts like trifix as a way to obscure what's going on with the core type. Like there's nothing that your fixes are going to add to your core type that's going to obscure the way that your core type presents itself like it is through the core type so asking about six with an eight fix versus eight with the six fixes you're just asking about sixes versus eights that's it yeah same goes for instinct where it's not like i see a lot of times people say oh well i'm a social force so this or i'm a 
sexual whatever so i'm not like this but it's like the the instincts nor the fixes they don't obscure or muddy the type the type is the type Mm -hmm. and what your type is reacting to is going to be the instinctual stacking and and what you're like how that reaction is enforced is going to be through the lens of the main type supported by the fixes which is a great lead-in to the next question that we have on countertypes. Hi there. Um, I am a listener who gets to enjoy your podcast. I am curious about your feelings about subtypes, I guess, and the issue of countertypes and how it's kind of a ruse. I have wrestled a lot with that myself. I, I don't know. I would just love to hear the thoughts on that ASAP. I get the sense that you're right, <laughs> but I like to be convinced because there are some people who like swear by the idea of countertypes, and maybe it's just like the way they're framing it. Um, and then also like some countertypes don't make sense to me, or like don't seem reasonable. Like the four, like the press four being funny or whatever, that doesn't make any sense to me. The social seven being suddenly selfless. Uh, that also doesn't make sense to me. I just would love some explanation um, about yourself about that. Additionally, I am really intrigued about your trifix discussion. I haven't finished listening to everything you've said about that, but I have more questions, um, and I'm also just intrigued. But I really appreciate what you guys are doing, and I'm not here to talk shit, but I am here to say <laughs> I think you guys are funky and fun and a little bit odd, but in a good way. Uh, all right, I think you guys are having a great Thank you for listening, baby. Um, <laughs> a little funky, but odd. I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> take I love it. that. Um, yeah, call in with your uh, trifix question specifically, because uh, you know, like that'd be fun. But yeah. in terms of counter type, yeah, we don't. I don't buy that shit. Um, so. I'm going to go into a thing before you guys have something to say. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> well, we were going to save this for a whole thing, but do you want to, how much do you want to say on it now? Yeah, I'll say like, cause I think we should do a whole pod going into right. counter types, but I just want to say something cause it ties in a lot with uh, j- what, what just came before uh, yes. in terms of history. So uh, let's try and be as succinct as John can be, but uh, which isn't much, no, which isn't much. <laughs> so the concept of, subtype is confused with instinct and they're not the same thing even though they're often talked about in the same way uh Ichaza was basing his understanding of instinct on as he says in the intro to facets of unity on sufi psychology i think it was that anyway uh naranjo was influenced by another guy named uh armando something molina who used a Gurdjieffian concept of subdivision of centers. And that's too much to go into now, but that led to subtype. And part of this difficulty or this, the, the confusion that subtype creates is that subtype implies that it's a derivative of the main type. So uh, that, a, that there's four and then they're divided further into sexual four, self-press four, social four. Uh, I think subtype is a better term for the wings, type in a type in a wing, like a four of the five versus four of the three. Um, but the instincts are independent of type and they're what the type is in reaction to. So they don't like somehow slice up or change fourness or the main type, whatever. Um, and then counter type, in my opinion, 
uh, I think it was used to account for why this system didn't work. Why it was like, like, okay, I can't imagine according to this subdivision of centers subtype thing, how sexual, which is defined in the subtypes as intimacy 101, which is wrong in my opinion. How does sexual 101 uh, mix with five-ishness? Oh, it's got to be something that goes against the energy of the type. And so counter there's the instinct does not go against the energy of the type and vice versa. Type does not go against the energy of the instinct. They, they work together. And if it's hard to imagine, it may require somebody to dive further into how they understand the type or the instinct together. Yeah, basically, it's countertypes is bullshit. And uh, we need a whole pot to uncover all the ways that it, it doesn't make sense at all. And it's one of those things that really pissed me off because when I was trying to trying to really understand my own instinctual stacking and, and reading about like the counter type for eight or something or reading like those Naranjo descriptions I was like this doesn't this is a cartoon it doesn't actually make any fucking sense and I couldn't wrap my head around um these counter types so yeah it, it's a whole thing and and we need it's to like do in the, the trifix question where it's like if if I have to go oh well I don't seem like my type at all but I have this fix and this is the counter type and then this thing and it's you're not that type exactly and and I'm not just trying to like uh, pick on the people that, that like mistype or anything, but it's it's something like not to get too like oh I'm making exceptions so I fit this or I see this or this person fits that because it all that's holding on to these concepts sometimes obscures the very thing that these concepts are trying to help us see. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anyway, we'll save that for one of the upcoming podcasts. Thanks everybody for your questions. Keep uh, keep hitting us at the love line. We got yeah, we got quite a bit this time. At least I guess in the last uh, since the last time we did it. So keep sending them in. We got a lot of love. It's our it's our backlog. Let's give. <laughs> awesome.